Turn to Psalm 26. Psalm 26. I was at a conference one time where they began praying that the demons would be cast out of the sound system. I won't be doing that today. Let's start by reading this psalm. Psalm 26, a psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of the evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm begins and ends with David, who is the author, speaking of his integrity. His integrity. Now, what is, what is integrity? David says in the first verse, I have walked in my integrity. Proverbs speaks of the man who has integrity, who walks in his integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. It's one of those, it's one of those proverbs where, uh, you know, there's, there's these generational things that happen. And a lot of the proverbs that we focus on are speaking of the man being blessed when his children act a certain way, or a man being ashamed when his children act a different way, right? In this case, it's going the other direction, and it's speaking of the sons being blessed because of the way that their father lived, right? Children, if you have a father that walks in his integrity, then you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Why does a man who has integrity, why is he a blessing to his sons? Why do his children receive benefit from that? Well, 
Your reputation matters, doesn't it? Your reputation matters. My grandfather had a reputation, and I have his name. And his reputation was a good one, one of integrity. And so occasionally when I am out at conferences, I will have somebody come up to me, generally somebody who is older, and they will say, Joseph Bailey, looking at my name tag, you know, Joseph Bailey. That's an interesting way to spell Bailey. You any relation to Joe Bailey? And I'll say, yes. He was my grandfather. And they will praise him for walking in his integrity. They'll speak of the benefit that he was to them in his writing and in his speaking. And I am blessed in the second generation from him because of how he lived his life, how he walked in his integrity. Why is that a blessing to me? I mean, it just doesn't, shouldn't really make me feel good about myself, right? I mean, I didn't do anything. He, he's the one who did it. But, but, I, but I am blessed when people come up to me and speak of my grandfather and remind me of how he lived and the work that he did. Why am I blessed? Well, one, one way that I'm blessed is because I am reminded that I must work hard and walk in integrity like he did. That's a helpful reminder, isn't it? It's helpful to be urged to live up to your namesake, to live up to the expectations of you. But that's not the only, that's not the only benefit. When David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. When the, when the proverb says that the children, the sons, after the man who walks in his integrity are blessed, what we see is that our name matters. Our name matters. Our reputation matters. What's happening here is that David is under attack. David is under attack. He is being accused of things. He is being, uh, he is being, uh, abused, right? <laughs> He's being abused by other people and he is appealing to God to be his vindication. Now what is what is vindication? Vindication is when you say, "See, I told you so." Right? You're vindicated in what you said. It's you know, we got a trampoline this week. Pray for our children and me. 
because you know I won't be able to resist going on a trampoline. <laughs> we got a trampoline, and, uh, and as my mom would say, there'll be tears. And it was not five minutes after there were children on that trampoline before there were tears. And so my, my, mother's, my mother was always vindicated when she said, there'll be tears. She was always right. Somehow she knew. She was vindicated. What she had said came true. Now, there are other ways that we are vindicated, right? When we say, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And the court finds us not guilty. We are vindicated. When it comes out that our accuser was a lying scoundrel, we are vindicated, right? David desires to be vindicated because he has people making false accusations against him. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. This is not David saying that he is sinless. We cannot be vindicated before God by saying, I have walked in my integrity, right? David is, not, David is not asking for God to declare him sinless because he has walked a perfect life. He says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Okay, so is that what saves David? No, that's not what David is talking about here. David is saying, there are, there are false accusations against me. They are not true. Vindicate me, O Lord. You are my hope. I'm putting my trust in you. And then what does he say? He says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Now, do you want God to examine you, both in your mind and the things that you have thought, and in your heart, the things that you have felt and desired? It doesn't sound like a prayer that I would want to pray. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Why is David speaking this way? Yes, it's because he is being falsely accused, he's being oppressed by wicked men. It's because he desires to be vindicated, obviously. But there is, there is, only, so, there is only so much that you can say this second verse, that you can pray with David, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. You know, you can say, no, no, he's lying about me. He's lying about me. I didn't take all the cookies. Vindicate me. He's lying about me. I didn't take all the cookies if you took all but one of them. Right? You can, you can say, well, it's technically false. Or, you know, that, that particular accusation is false. 
But it's, at the same moment, you are a man of hypocrisy. You are a man of bloodshed. You are a man of wickedness. You are a man who lacks integrity at the core. A man who accepts and gives bribes, right? If that's the kind of man that you are, you cannot pray this prayer along with David. Vindicate me, O Lord, even if the one particular accusation is false. You won't be able to pray that next verse, will you? You don't want God to look into your heart and see, because what you're going to find is, what he's going to find is, what you know is already there, which is hatred, lust, envy, bitterness, But what David says is in his heart and in his mind is in verse 3. What is before his eyes? God's loving kindness is before David's eyes. That's what he's dwelling on. That's what you, what you put before your eyes is what you are dwelling on. There's no getting around that. What you put before your eyes is what you are dwelling on. What David has put before his eyes is the loving kindness of God. That's what he is meditating on. That's what he is thinking on. That's what's in his mind. That's what's in his heart. And he has walked in his truth. Now remember, all of this is not David claiming to be sinless, right? Many places in the Psalms we see David confessing that he is wicked. Confessing that his heart isn't pure. But in this context, in the context of false accusations, in the context of him being a man after God's own heart, right? in the context of him being a man who seeks God, he is righteous. He is righteous. And he has not sat with deceitful men. You see, there's this whole way of life. There really is a good life and a bad life, right? And just because we are all sinners does not mean that there is no way to tell what you should do, right? How you should live. And that it doesn't matter how you live. After all, we're all sinners, right? No. David sets before you two ways of living your life. One way, you set God's loving kindness before your eyes. You walk in his truth. The other way... He describes of those who are attacking him and of what he's being accused of, sitting with deceitful men, going with pretenders. So how does David respond to the attack that he is under? He does not resort to their evil ways. Now that is a particular temptation 
when you face wickedness in this world. It's a particular temptation to give yourself to that wickedness in order to attempt to vindicate yourself. David does not vindicate himself. He does not take vengeance himself, nor does he try to vindicate himself by adopting their methods, but rather he appeals to God to vindicate him, and he scorns, spurns, flees, runs away from, doesn't have anything to do with the wicked man's method. Okay? Now, you all know how fond I am of using the behavior of children to help us understand a point, right? Okay, so... What David does not do when his brother hits him is hit him back. Right? It's really simple. And he also doesn't say, after having hit him back, but he started it. You see, that's the vindication. Well, I had to do it because that was the only way for things to be made right. Obviously, he needed to be punished, and my hand was available, and so I punished him for hitting me. I hit him back. This is the vindication of the wicked man justifying himself, right? I had to do it. It was the only way that there was going to be any satisfaction. It was the only way that there was going to be any justice. Now, You think that kids are silly for saying he started it, but if you, if you go all the way up to the, to the top of human development, the upper echelons of politics, what you find is that the Republicans point to the Democrats and say they started it. And the Democrats point to the Republicans and say they did it first. About Wicked things. You understand? And if somebody points out a wicked thing that your candidate that you love does, you say, well, that's not as bad as, and you point at somebody else, they did it worse, and they started it. Right? Now, this is justification in a, uh, in a, uh, a very safe, safe sphere to attack politics. I mean, there's no risk for me in attacking politicians, right? After all, they're dirty scoundrels. We all know that. So I can attack politicians all day long and say they always do this, they always do this silly thing. They, they think that they're going to vindicate themselves by saying he started it. Or I had to do it because that was the only way. You know, they were already doing it. And so if I didn't do it, then the balances would be so unfair. So so I also adopted the method of uh, gerrymandering, right? Just, Just for example, like, oh yeah, hey, I'll guarantee myself re-election by changing all of the lines around about who can vote 
so that only the people who like me can vote for me. Now, does that sound just? I mean, it's absurd, right? It's laughable. Now, there's not necessarily a simple solution to the problem, but obviously that injustice is wicked, right? That is, that is a, a blatant rejection of integrity. We always think, though, that if somebody is doing something unjust, if somebody is attacking us, Satan is quick to suggest that we ought to do the same thing back. That is our first thought. We ought to do the same thing back. But that's precisely what David doesn't do. He spends some, he goes on at some length saying, I didn't go along and do the same thing back. I do not sit with deceitful men. Why would you not sit with deceitful men? Because to sit with deceitful men is to lend your name to their lies. Right? It gives your, uh, your reputation to their claims. You're sitting with them. This is why if a, uh, if a board makes a decision that you are on and, and you literally cannot go along with it, you have to resign from the board. You can't, you can't just say, well... I disagree. The board decided. If you remain on the board, your name is attached to that decision. Unless you resign in protest. Right? This is why David will not sit with deceitful men. And he will not go with pretenders. Now, what are pretenders? What are pretenders? Kids, have you ever had somebody who pretended to be your friend? If you haven't experienced it yet, you might at some point in your life. You probably will. I'm warning you now. There are people who will pretend to be your friend. They don't actually like you. They don't actually care about you. They are simply using you. Maybe to make somebody else jealous. Or maybe they are using you in order to get somebody else as a friend that they actually want to be friends with. Or maybe uh, they are doing it just to make a fool out of you. When I was in fifth grade, I had a girl ask if I would go out with her. I was not at all interested in the first place. But second of all, I knew that the girls in my class had been making a game out of seeing how many people they could get dating and dumped in one day. Count me out. I'm not interested in being your boyfriend. 
for half an hour until you dump me and make me look like an idiot. And then your best friend asks me if I'll go out with her. And then her friend asks me. This is, this is abusive, you understand. Fifth graders can be abusive. Thankfully, I would not walk with pretenders. But there are going to be many, many people who it will, it will be too late when you discover their wicked intentions. And so you have to pay attention to who the people are, who you are going with. Pretenders. Pretenders aren't just people who pretend to be your friends. We, you, may, uh, you may have called somebody a poser before. It's the same thing, pretender, right? What is a poser? What is a pretender? Well, a, a poser, a pretender, is just someone who, who pretends to be something that they're not. So you could say that somebody's a poser when they, uh, when they make a big show out of being uh, strong, for instance. There's a certain kind of way of working out that builds your body up for appearance so that you can strike poses. You are a poser if you work out that way. You understand? that In the gym, they call it curls for the girls. It's about appearance. It's, it's not about being strong to do work it's not, about, it's not about anything except pretending. So people who are concerned only about appearances, but not the reality, not having strength that is actually profitable for hard work, you, that's, that's pretending. That's a pretender. That's a poser. And David won't have anything to do with pretenders. There are other ways that People can be pretenders. They can pretend to be very concerned about righteousness and holiness, right? But have no desire to actually carry that burden of living a holy life themselves. Remember Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, Woe to you! Why? You go to the ends of the heavens and the earth to make one disciple, and then you make him into twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Or because you lay heavy burdens on people, but you won't lift so much as a finger yourself. This is, this is pretenders. You see? David will not resort to their ways. Now, this last week, cancel culture took the brand new Boeing senior vice president of communications. On Thursday, he lost his job. Well, he resigned, I guess. He had been in the job less than six months. Somebody complained that he had written that women shouldn't be put into combat positions. And so that was the end of his job. Of course, he wrote that back in 1987. 
cancel culture is abusive, right? That's abusive. It's wicked. It's attacking a man. Sad to say, his reply was not to, his response was not to trust in God and to call to God to vindicate him, but rather to say, I don't believe that. Right? He adopted the methods and beliefs and words of his attackers. You see, it's crazy, but that's what we are always tempted to do. He had evolved on that issue. In fact, he had evolved back in 1987, probably, or, or 88. He had, he had long since stopped believing that crazy, crazy stuff that there's a difference between men and women. <laughs> of course, it's not just for him to be attacked. It's not just for him to lose his job in that way for something so minor and true that he said back in 1987. And it's tempting to hope that the employee who complained, who found this tidbit and wrote the complaint, it's tempting to hope that that man or woman gets the same unjust treatment, right? Well, the Psalms in particular are full of prayers that God would let their traps find themselves. Not in this particular case, but we've got to make space for God to bring about justice. And if he does so through the same wicked lies, finding them, the same attacks that they have planned, the same traps that they have laid, catching them, then it is beautiful. But we are not to adopt their methods. You see the difference. It is tempting to, to, uh, to then seek to do the same thing to somebody else. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Which is to say, don't you repay. Don't you repay evil for evil. We must not adopt the wicked man's methods in order to stop him. The ends do not justify the means. How does David respond instead? He puts his focus on God. I shall wash my hands in innocence. Just, again, a simple declaration of the fact that he is innocent. He has not done it. He is not guilty. And then what? 
and I will go about your altar, O Lord. He puts his focus on God. Verse 3, he remembers God's loving kindness. Verse 7, he gives thanks to God and declares the amazing things that God has done. Verse 8, he spends time in worship. Think about that being the solution to to cancel culture. Cancel culture comes for you, and what do you do? I have a close friend who lost his job because of cancel culture last month or the month before. He's a programmer. You'd think they'd believe in things like truth, you know? But Silicon Valley's very liberal, and that was the end of his job. What did he do? He asked for prayer. He trusted God. He moved on. Now, I'm not saying that <clears throat> there's no ability to appeal, that there's nothing that should be done in terms of fighting against false accusations. But one thing is for sure, and that is, if you put your faith, if you put your hope, if you put your attention and your focus on God, if you're able to give thanks in the midst of that, you're in a totally different place than where you would be if you decided that you were going to take it into your own hands, right? You're in a totally different place than the response of the wicked man. David continues his prayer. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. Now, right here, we're in the middle of we're in the middle of seeing the effects of a culture that has rejected God, right? We're in the middle of seeing the the uh, the society that God has placed us in, the country that we're a part of, uh, beginning to tear itself apart at the seams. Or maybe a better way of putting it is we're uh, seeing the results of having given ourselves over to sin as a nation, unrepentant sin, for decades, and now the fruit is finally coming home to roost. And it's very easy to look into the future and to see that very bad things could happen, not just because you see the symptoms around you of people fighting, people being uh, more and more polarized in their positions, less and less common ground, and what, what could that lead to? Oh, it could lead to all sorts of terrible things. It could lead to fighting. It could lead to, uh, you know, 
civil war in the end, right? Okay, so you can look at you can look at the symptoms. You can look at the way that uh, what Jesus says. Hey, you know, you know how to read the, the the sky. You look at the weather, and you can see what's coming. We can look at the weather, and we can see potentially what's coming. But not only that, we know that God judges wicked men. God judges wicked nations. God pours his wrath out and and tears down the pride of man, right? And so we can look at at that and we can say, hey, we know what's coming for a nation that sacrifices its children to false gods. We know what's coming. And what does David say? Do not take my soul away along with sinners. Now, doesn't that give you hope? Right there, recognizing that David saw the danger of himself being washed away along with the sinners. Doesn't it it give you hope? Doesn't it remind you of the flood? Like, hey, God didn't just wipe everybody out. He saved Noah. He saved him. He didn't take his life away, his soul away along with the sinners. He didn't take his life away with the men of bloodshed. All all the men around you have a wicked scheme and their hands are full of bribes and even Lot, even Lot, You couldn't ask for a worse city to live in than Sodom, right? And God was gracious and answered prayers to save. And so David ends the psalm the same way that he began it by saying, by by speaking of walking in his integrity. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. How is David going to live? He's going to put his eyes on God. That's what he's going to put before his face. He's going to worship him. He's going to give thanks to him in the midst of this terrible attack, in the midst of terrible wickedness going on around him, in the midst of potential judgment coming. He's going to place his eyes on Christ and he's going to walk in integrity. He's going to continue doing right. Even if that is precisely what led to his being fired the first time, he will continue to walk in integrity. Right? Why? Because he can trust God. Why? Because God is our Redeemer. Because he is gracious Redeem me and be gracious to me, he says. My foot stands on a level place. We're about to go canoeing, my boys and I, in a few weeks. And uh, if you've ever stood in a loaded canoe, you found that it wasn't level for long, right? You can quickly end up 
under the boat instead of in the boat. With all of your stuff floating away. And in the boundary waters, that can kill you. It's important to have level ground under your feet, isn't it? David reminds us that when we look to God and we stand on him, we are on level ground, solid ground. And so we can praise God in the congregations. I love that that's plural. In the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. That means that there's a lot of places, there's a lot of people for you to praise God to in the midst of attacks, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of cancel culture, in the midst of God's judgment. Though the world is collapsing, though the ground seems incredibly topsy-turvy, he is our solid ground. We stand on him and we can praise him to one another and remind each other, walk in your integrity. You are on a solid foundation. Let's pray.